0: With me back to 1 Corinthians, you remember 1 Corinthians 1? I want to um deal with Romans from a different angle. I'm coming at, at it from other scriptures to come back to it to explain things in Romans, so I will come back to chapter three via a root. Um in Romans um in one Corinthians one verse um Thirteen, but of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Now you remember we looked at the fact that Christ is made unto us, Jesus Christ is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. And I want to deal with righteousness. That's right relationship with God. And I want to just bring your minds back to one or two scriptures um, so that you get it in your mind. But this is important because many, many people in their thinking have it wrong. And if you have it wrong in your thinking and your beliefs, you end up with wrong living. Um, Rationalism leads to problems Uh, lots of people are very rational about their faith Um, but if you get rational um, and you lose sight of what God really says uh, you get it wrong and what has happened in society people have gone away from what the Bible teaches into what they think the Bible says and then they get into problems. And so I want to go tonight and talk about righteousness. And you'll find, first of all, let's go to um, Colossians. We look there. In Colossians chapter 1. Jesus is our righteousness. And it says in um, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14, um, or let us take verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath Translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins And you remember we looked at that and saw that we have been delivered It's not something we're seeking. It's not something we're trying for. It's not something we strive for. It's something that's history You have been delivered And that is fact Doesn't matter Uh, what your experience is it matters what God says Um, your experience will match up to what God says when you believe it when you believe what God says not your experience Um, and so many people live uh, in a, a minefield of wrong thinking and we have been delivered now nothing can stop you giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet, that's fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now this is part of our inheritance. If you're a a saint, if you're born again and you're a child of God, part of your inheritance is that you realize you have been delivered from the power of darkness and have been translated into the kingdom of his dear Son. Now, you can't have the devil's work in your life anymore because you were translated and delivered from darkness and translated into light, and that's it. It's over. It's done. And when you become a believer and you're born again, it is a completed work that can never be undone. You do understand that. It cannot be undone. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't make mistakes but, um, in your life, but the fact is that the mistakes that you make are choices that you make that are wrong, but if you've truly had an encounter with God, you have been delivered. Now, let me say this, that there's lots of people that claim, as I said last time, there are lots of people that claim encounters with God who've never had them. Lots of people think they've had experiences God who've never had them. And I'm not talking about the people of believism, evangelicalism. That is not what I'm talking I'm talking about people who are truly born of God's Spirit, whose natures have changed, who've become partakers of the divine nature, who know a time when they changed from being the person they were into a new creation in Christ. They know the power of sin was broken. They knew that they were delivered from the power of darkness experimentally it happened now if it hasn't happened then I'm not talking to you it's no good uh, the name it claim it kind of Copeland type teaching where you find a scripture and then you claim it applies to you Uh, it only applies to you if the reality of it's happened in your life now if the reality hasn't happened in your life Um, it's because, basically, you haven't come into life yet. Now, I'm going to explain how you come into life, but all I want to make plain is that there's a lot of people that can read the Scriptures and say, ah, well, I'm a Christian, therefore this is true of me. No, it's not true of you if you haven't had a real new birth. You've got to have had a nature change. And... It's that fundamental nature change that counts for everything. And when that has happened, you've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. I do not believe it's possible for a person who has been truly converted, truly born again, had a nature change, ever to go back and backslide and go back into the world. It is not possible. Period. I do not believe it is possible for a man who's had a nature change or a woman who's had a nature change to deny Christ or to deny the ways of God. I think it's alien because their nature is the nature of Jesus Christ. You cannot deny what God has done. If God's done it, you can't. Because you'd have to deny yourself. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And there'd have to be a denial of of God to do it. You couldn't. Uh, It is impossible. That's why it's also impossible to renew one again to repentance because they haven't had it. Because if they'd had it, they wouldn't be where they would deny. They couldn't. And that is fact. All right, so I am talking very specifically and saying to those that are born again, hey, what the Scripture teaches is that you have been delivered. All right? Now I'm talking to born again, spirit-filled, life, nature-changed people. I'm not talking of anyone that says, oh, I'm a Christian, therefore this has happened to me. That is not so, because lots of people call themselves Christians, don't they? Hmm? Now, lots of people have experiences of God without having a nature change. God moves in many people's lives. He moved in Judas Iscariot's life, for instance. Judas went about healing the sick, delivering the captive. He moved in Saul's life. Saul lay all day prophesying. When he went amongst the school of the prophets, Um, it's possible to move in gifts. Balaam... Uh, prophesied by the Holy Ghost one no nature change and so it's very dangerous to uh, ascribe to yourself experiences if they haven't genuinely happened or lay claim to scripture say oh well that applies to Christians therefore it applies to me it doesn't apply to you if it hasn't happened in your life and if it's happened in your life and God's done something real in your life, then it can't be undone. That's all I'm saying. Alright? Do you understand that? Everyone understand that? Are you sure? So what I'm saying is this is true for every born-again, spiritful Christian. It is not true for a man who claims an experience but hasn't had one. Or hasn't had a genuine experience which has birthed him into new nature. It doesn't mean he hasn't had any experiences of God because lots of people have experiences of God before they come into new life. Okay? Yeah, no. Well. Yes, that's all right. Sure. Now, righteousness is a right relationship with God. And Christ is my righteousness. In other words... Jesus Christ, you remember we talked about he was the advocate. He appears before Father to plead my cause and your cause. If so be you're a born again, spirit-filled believer, having been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear Son, then you can say that Christ is your advocate. But if that hasn't happened to you, I've got news for you. He isn't your advocate. You haven't yet employed him on your behalf. And it's good to know who is pleading your cause. And if he isn't pleading your cause, you need to be born again, don't you? Hmm. This is hard work tonight. Is that plain? You know, if I've got a solicitor who represents me, what I need to do is I need to realize it's no good having a solicitor representing you And you allow her to to deal with a part of the case and then you decide that you won't tell her about or him about other parts of the case uh, and you don't bother to have them fully representing you. That's hopeless. Get to court and you'll discover that things are bored up and they don't know anything about it. And advocate. And when Jesus takes your case, he takes your whole case. And that's because most of you are a nut case. And you need someone to plead your cause, don't you? To God the Father. All right? Now, we dealt with that last time. But now I want to go on and talk about the righteousness. Um, you see, justice was satisfied. Now, one of the things you have to understand, in the garden, and we go back once again to in the garden. You remember in the garden, Adam and Eve. You know, paradise. And as I said last time, the reason it was paradise because neither of them had mother-in-laws or father-in-laws. It's Adam and Eve. Um, And so it was real paradise there. Uh, Sorry about that. But when you look at it, The devil knew there was such a thing in God as justice in his nature because he'd been the choice cherubim from the foundation of everything. And when in heaven, when God created all the beings, heavenly beings, the choice cherubim was the covering cherubim. And so he understood justice because you remember his heart was lifted up, he rebelled against God and he took one third of the host of heaven with him to rebel against God and he tried to usurp God's throne. So he learned what justice was and he learned that God was a righteous God and justice was something that applied in heaven. Now, he also listened in to the instructions that God gave to Adam. You can eat at every tree in the garden, but at this tree you don't eat. Because if you do, you'll die. Because you'll take back into yourself your sovereignty. You'll take back into yourself independence from God. And so the enemy of our souls knew If he could get Adam to violate the will of God and go against the will of God, justice demanded that what God had said had to happen. And he hated God and he hated God's creation because he saw man made in God's image. And he saw that God made the whole of creation for man and he wanted a rest. The opportunity to hurt God and go against God. And so, what he did, he turned man's heart to rebel against God. Now, that was his whole purpose. But the reason he did it, he understood that God had said the day that you get that knowledge of good and evil and you become independent, you will surely die. Death is coming. Now, he knew that he had to get man to violate God's principle. In that sense, he understood that there was justice in God. And therefore, justice would demand that the penalty was fulfilled. So he had a ploy to destroy God's purpose of creation. Man would not subdue the earth. Man would not subdue the animals. Man would not be there living in fellowship with God because he knew justice would demand satisfaction. And so, in his nasty, smutty-minded imagination, this horrible individual called Satan came along And he worked on the basis of justice. He understood justice, so his whole ploy was to work on the basis that God was just. So he knew. God had said, if you do this, you'll die. So here he had an opportunity. If only he could get Adam and Eve to sin, then death had to pass on them. Justice had to be satisfied. There was no way round it. And that was his whole ploy. So he understands justice. He understands punishment. He was cast out of heaven. He understands the nature of God because he lived in heaven. He understands the way God is because he was a covering cherubim. And so the whole of his notion for destroying God's creation was based on justice. He had to get man to violate God's word so that he could demand justice. Even though he himself had rebelled, he still knew that the nature of God always demanded justice. And that's the amazing thing. The creature understood the Creator. The choice cherubim understood because when he rebelled, he found out that there was righteousness, there was justice, and his heart was lifted up with pride. You'll find that in Ezekiel, you remember. Uh, The choice cherubim, he said, I will ascend. Uh, And God cast him down. So he understood justice. His heart was lifted up. And so here he is, and his whole ploy with man is I am going to demand justice from God. Now, in order to destroy man, all I have to do is get him into a position where the justice of God comes into effect and the judgment of God. All right, you understand that? Simple, isn't it, really, when someone tells you. Okay? So that's how the devil was thinking. Just want you to know, we're not ignorant of his devices. The Bible says so, Paul said that. We're not ignorant of Satan's devices. So his device now is always to bring shame and guilt because man is conscious that God is a just being. And you've always got the sense that if you do wrong, you know God's just. What do you sow, you're going to reap. Huh? Hello? It's kind of inbred in you, isn't it? Hey? Uh, you know, children, they, they're always guilty. Have you noticed that? When they do something wrong, even when they're babes, they know when they're doing it wrong, don't they? There's a kind of guilt. Uh, and they're, they're right from early days, people know that there's a thing called justice. They might not understand or explain it, they know it. You might say to me, well, just a minute. I read Piaget and it's an abstract thought and they don't get that to true... Tw- I want to tell you, a little child knows. There's guilt comes on it. Don't you believe all the psychologists and educationists, rubbish. I want to tell you, I proved with both my children when they were under two years old that Piaget was totally wrong and Rousseau was wrong and all that lot were wrong. Of course, it was a very clinical test i did they said that um, children don't have abstract thought you take a teddy and hide it from a an 18 month old it's amazing even when it's out of their mind they can remember there was a teddy and they'll start looking for it you want to realize the human brain is a fascinating thing children can work things out much better than adults Have you ever wondered when a baby sits looking and laughing and they can't speak, how are they thinking? With what do they think? I mean, what is it that makes them laugh when they look at you? I mean, what must they actually... They must be thinking something. As you go goo goo goo, they think creep. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what do they think? They have no words to express thought. And, and you know, society said now they've trained a monkey to say two, uh, 200 words or, or to, 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 with a voice box, and they think that, you know, a monkey can comprehend. Monkey can't comprehend although looking at some of you I think probably it could Um, it is not true and very often people say but justice is something that's inbuilt in you inside of you God lighted every man that came into the world you've got a conscience you've got a sense of what is correct haven't you from the day of your birth, it's just there. You feel it awkward and embarrassed when you're caught out, don't you? Huh? Uh, and even, it's just, there's something inbuilt in you. Now that's what God put there. Uh, it says in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 1, you know God who, who lighted every man that came into the world. Justice has to be satisfied, doesn't it? Okay, let's look in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and um, verse 13. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But, and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are you. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify, that's honor, the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you. A reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You've got to have a reason for your hope. You know, one thing I've, I, I don't like with Christians uh, is when they don't have reason used. God gave you a brain. He never gave a chimpanzee a brain with reason, but he gave most of you a brain with reason. I don't want to exaggerate. That's why I said most. Most of you are reasoning beings, aren't you? Hmm? It might not be rational, but you're reasoning. You know, you can uh, reason irrationally, can't you? Hmm? Here we are. You've got to have reason inside of you. You've got to be able to have a reasoning brain, a reasoning being. And you've got to have a way of expressing it. Every man that asketh you, you've got to have a reason for the hope that is in you. And you've got to have meekness and fear. It, it's Don't come with a, well, I just know. Uh, that's not reason, that's just dogmatic statement. Um, you've got to know why you believe what you believe. And don't say it's my experience tells me, because your experience doesn't count. What counts is what God says. Your experience should match up to what God says, but it's, your, it's not a reasoning thing to say, well, I just, I just know. That's not reason, is it? Hmm? You've got to have good reason. When people come and challenge you, you've got to be able to reason. And you've got to have an answer for every man that is what God intends, the church to be a rational church. One of the things that the charismatic move has done such disservice with in, in, in the world today is they've, they've abandoned reason. And they talk about, oh, you know, I just feel in my spirit. There is nothing more reasonable than the gospel. In fact, you know, you present your body as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. Why is it your reasonable service? Because any rational man that knows the truth of the gospel must present his body as a living sacrifice under God. There's rationality in it. You're insane if you think you can live your life for yourself. It's totally irrational because justice will demand the penalty. And so we're looking at justice. Justice unrighteousness. righteousness. Okay? Let's go on then. Eyes down. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you. Your good conversation in Christ, that's your good manner of life. Now, you will bring shame to people who falsely accuse you. You know why people get vehement against Christians is because they're ashamed. And the only way to cover their shame is to throw their accusations at you. So understand, when people really get violent against you, it's because of their shame. That's why you can be meek. Because you know, really, they're the ones that are guilty. When they cover up, oh, you know, I'm not sure I believe this, and they start arguing. It's because of their shame. They're ashamed. And they can't find a fig leaf locally, so they start um, spouting forth in irrational ways. Have you noticed that? They always, uh, most of these people that want to attack you, well, you know, do you always keep the speed limit then? I mean, you know, they they go for any stupid thing, don't they? No, I suppose you're perfect. Uh, All it is, is they're trying to cover their shame. Ah, you think you're so wonderful. Uh, They're covering their shame. Understand why they do it. Uh, And they falsely accuse you. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long, long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him now understand what he's saying uh, Peter here is saying look you, you were sometime disobedient and, and Noah in Noah's day there was total disobedience and rebellion on the earth then eight souls while Noah made the ark eight souls were for the saving and we have been baptized into the death of Christ when Christ died we died in him And he makes it plain. um, For Christ, verse 18, also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Now, Christ was just. We were unjust. All right? Justice demanded death passed on us when we sin. Christ was sinless. He couldn't die. That is why he had to dismiss his spirit. Even on Calvary, when he became sin, who knew no sin, he couldn't die. He had to dismiss his spirit. That's why he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He could not die. There was no way he could die. Because the just had to suffer for the unjust, as you and me. And... Right up to the point where he dismissed his spirit. He, there was no way death, sickness, disease, they couldn't kill him. Nothing would take his life from him. He had to give his life. He said, I lay it down. You say, no, Calvary took his life. No, 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 no. He hung on the cross, but no pain, no ang- anguish. Nothing could take his life from him. The reason was he was both man and God. Can't kill God. Now the man Christ Jesus, when he suffered on Calvary's tree, don't think that it was the cross and crucifixion that killed him. It didn't. Couldn't. I mean, he could have been run over by an express train. It wouldn't kill him. Nothing could kill him. You do understand that. So many people think, oh, the terrible cross. But he could turn around uh, uh, and speak to the Father. And all the time he was in control. He, when he let his humanity die on Calvary tree, he had to dismiss his spirit. If you don't understand that, you don't understand. God cannot die. Now the man Christ Jesus, the just suffered for the unjust. Justice had to be satisfied. Death passed on you. Death could not pass on him. Couldn't. He had to lay his life down. And he laid it down for you and for I. So that justice, the penalty for your sin and my sin and all of mankind's sin was paid on Calvary's tree. When he dismissed his spirit and gave up the ghost and tasted of death for every man, at that point justice was complete. What the devil had demanded in the garden happened at Calvary. Justice was totally and completely satisfied. The just suffered for the unjust. Sin came in by one. Righteousness came in by one. And you have to understand it always in the realm of God being a righteous God, a God of justice, he cannot have a a question of double jeopardy. There's no sense in which you can come to God and find that when your sin has been paid for that you would have to pay for it again. You cannot because Christ has already done it. And all the feelings that you have to do something to justify yourself before God is crazy. You cannot. Because justice has already been satisfied. There is nothing you can do to make amends for what you've done wrong in your life. There is nothing you can do to pay for it. Justice has been totally and completely satisfied. The just suffered for the unjust And it was nothing to do with you. But justice was complete. And so what the devil tried to use to destroy us has destroyed his plan. The very plan that he thought would destroy the whole of creation is destroying him. The very thing that he thought could rest God's creation from his hands and bring it into vileness, God used that very thing, justice, to win it back. That is why Christ came. The whole plan of salvation was in Father's heart before the creation was ever created. He knew what he was going to do. He knew what the cherub choice cherubim would do. He knew how he'd use the very nature of God to try and destroy God and destroy God's creation. He knew it. Therefore he planned a way in all eternity before the foundation of the world that one just one would come who could redeem us all. And justice would be satisfied. And the devil thought at Calvary he'd won because he'd got the one and only who could live that life and he thought he was robbing that life from him. He didn't understand that he couldn't take that life. He got a multitude one time to try and push Jesus over a cliff. (laughs) Jesus just walked through them and away. He tried everything. You remember when Jesus was a baby, he, he caused Herod to send soldiers when he was a young child actually, two years old, to kill every child. He tried to destroy. He couldn't. You see, if only he could take that life, but little did he know, that life would give us all life. That life would satisfy Justice. He was a fool. He didn't know. He didn't understand. Now he does. He knows that the only way he can stop you living in the fullness of what God is is if he can make you ashamed of your life and yourself and try to get your life conformable to him by your efforts. Instead of trusting in what God has done for you. And the whole difference in Christianity is knowing that justice is satisfied and that my salvation is that which He is the author and finisher of, not me. Nothing I can do, no action I take will ever satisfy justice. Why? Because it's already satisfied. The whole thing's been done 2,000 years ago. And so the enemy of our souls is the accuser of the brethren. Why does he accuse? Because he knows that man finds it hard to understand justice. To understand that the just suffered for the unjust is difficult for man. Because he always feels that a person has to take his own responsibility for his own life. And it's hard to humble yourself and accept that someone took responsibility for you. That's why he's called a savior, a redeemer. Because he knew that you couldn't redeem yourself, you can't save yourself. There's nothing about you that's going to help you. So he came to do it for you. And that's the miracle of salvation. It's a wonderful thing. And you're all looking at me. Do you understand what I'm saying? I just didn't know whether I'm making it plain enough. Let's go on. Okay. uh, 2 Timothy. Two Timothy and chapter, uh, chapter three. verse 14 says this, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now, look, Scripture is the key to everything. Uh, You can't understand the justice of God unless you understand what God says about it. When you understand and believe what God says about it, you stop your struggle. I remember there's a hymn I love which says, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. It's wonderful to know that the just suffer for the unjust. It's wonderful to know that, hey... I'm not justified by what I do I'm justified by what Christ did he paid for your sin and my sin 2,000 years ago and you can't alter it and nothing you do can change it and nothing the devil can accuse you of can ever rob you of it Him, hymn writer got it right my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought not You know, it's not to say that, oh, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this. Remembering your sin, that's not what it's talking about. It's remembering that it's nailed to his cross. And I bear it no more. Every single thing from the day of your birth, Jesus took it all. He's paid a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice. You cannot atone for it. He did. Justice was satisfied in God 2,000 years ago, and it was satisfied before the foundation of the world. He was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. The whole thing is just so wonderful. And all scriptures given by inspiration of God. The scriptures, look, verse 15, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Do you know, one thing I love to know is this, that 2,000 years ago when Christ hung on Calvary's tree, he knew what he was doing. Jesus wasn't there in ignorance. He knew, he set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew he was going to save you and he was going to save me. He knew he was going to satisfy divine justice. He knew he was going to take your sin and my sin into his own body. His faith looked ahead and saw all the children. It says in Isaiah. He saw the children. He saw the seed and the generation he'd beget. And he looked through faith that's why he saw the joy that was set before him there's no way that Jesus was in ignorance he said to them you know you, you couldn't take me you haven't got the power of life and death you haven't it's not in your hands Pontius Pilate you don't have the power he knew the power of life, he said, I've, I can lay my life down. He said, I can take it again. That's what he says in John's Gospel. He had the power. He could have called a legion of angels down and wiped them all out. But he knew he had to satisfy the demand of justice. He knew that in heaven justice counts. It's part of God's nature. So he knew that he had to pay the price justice divine had to, had to be satisfied. And so, when he was there, he was confident. He knew he was the just suffering for the unjust. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew, really, all through his life, he understood why he'd come. Don't ever get the idea that Jesus lived in a kind of twilight world of Ignorance. He didn't. He knew exactly what he was doing. Please believe me, he did. It was both man and God. Don't ever get the idea. Oh, when Jesus was on earth, he laid aside his Godhead. No, he laid aside all the attributes of the Godhead because no man can look on God and live. If he had revealed his divine glory to everyone there wouldn't have been anyone left on earth. They'd have fallen before him as dead men. That's what happened to the centurions when they came to grab him. Do you remember? They fell back as dead. The reason for that is, uh, and when the, when the um, um, disciples were up and, and his divinity began to show through, they fell on their faces. You better believe they did. They heard they heard a voice out of the cloud. Moses could not look on the glory of God. And you have to understand that there is a sense in which the divinity was hidden in flesh. He was incomprehensibly made man, as the uh, hymn writer likes to put it. You know, uh, there is... The, the incarnation was real. God came to live within. But what you have to understand is there was no way his divinity could have been allowed to show forth its beauty. That's why he laid that glory aside. He laid the glory aside, but he didn't lay the divinity aside. He was son of man, son of God. He was God. He is God always God always man you do understand that and you have to keep that always in mind and so he knew what he was doing as I said he couldn't die but the devil understood that justice and he thought he would use God's nature to destroy the very thing that God intended to build what a wicked mind the devil had what pride does Romans chapter 4 we're coming back to Romans you remember Romans chapter 4 are you all still with me of course you all know what I'm saying anyway it's just you know I'm putting it in a well you should. It is all simple. Romans chapter four uh, I'm, uh, look at this. Uh, verse 18 we're talking of Abraham who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken so shall I see be and being not weak in faith he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief and this was without vitamins um, but was strong in faith Giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was also able to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him or reckoned to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Jesus Christ became sin who knew no sin. He had to rise from the dead in bodily form for our justification to show that sin did not have any more right to hold a man in the grave. Justice had been satisfied. Death passed on every man till Christ came. When Christ came and heavenly justice was satisfied, death could not hold him in the grave because righteousness demanded life and therefore he rose again the third day. For our justification. So that we might understand. That it's just. If you want to use the word justification. It's just as if I never sinned. And when I come to Christ. I realize. That when he rose. It showed that divine justice. Had been totally satisfied in heaven. Everything's dealt with. From the day of your birth to the day of your departure, to the day you go home to glory, the day you meet him, every single thing divinely dealt with. Our offenses have been dealt with and are dealt with and shall be dealt with till the day I see him face to face. There is nothing that could ever come between me and God or you and God. That is justice divine. Raised for our justification. It's the most wonderful secret of the gospel. Most beautiful thing. Therefore, ver, chapter 5, verse 1 being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It's the most wonderful truth. Hey, I've got something to rejoice in. He lives. I'm alive. Because he lives in me. He's risen. I rose in him. 2,000 years ago, justice divine was satisfied. Death cannot touch you. Death cannot touch me. There's no way. Why? Jesus is alive. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Say, oh, well, you know, everyone's got to die. I want to tell you, there's no such thing. It was abolished 2,000 years ago. If I step out of this body, I don't die, I live. That's why when you go to a funeral, it cry is ridiculous. I mean, you're OK, there's separation, you're separated from the one you love, but the, the truth is they're not dead. They've just put off that body, and they've put on their incorruptible body. You've got a body terrestrial and you've got a body celestial. And don't think that, you know, the body celestials can lose feathers. Hadn't got any. Take my word for it. The most glorious thing, this grace in which we stand, we rejoice in it. Most glorious I, I worry when people, you know, oh I miss my loved one, I miss. Hey, I want to tell you, you've got no comprehension. That's why we're surrounded with such great a cloud of witnesses. They're cheering you on to the finish line. They know we won. It's not something uh, because we're a believer. I believe. It's true. The devil's a liar. He's finished. His kingdom revolved on demanding, and here's the rebel, the one who had the affront to stand and try and take God's position, he tried to use God's nature and God's justice to destroy man. He demanded justice of God. When he went before heaven and the sons of God in heaven, he said, hey, have you considered, you know, God said, have you considered my servant Joe? He said, ah, but does he serve you for nothing? What a thing. He always demanded. And went at God on the basis of nature and justice. And God's defeated him. At his own game. Because my God is smart. And he is a reasoning God. And the devil's a smutty-faced, nasty individual who's defeated. Poor devil. He's finished. We're alive. We believe. Hey, what about this? Therefore... Chapter 5, verse 1. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. You know, that, that's something people don't have. They don't have peace with God. they got shame, they got guilt, they got feelings. Hey, how can I feel guilty before God when I know justice divine is satisfied? I can't. I can never feel guilty before God. That's why we have our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. I have a good conscience. Why do I have a good conscience? Because I'm perfect? No! Because 2,000 years ago, justice divine was satisfied in Christ. And every single thing, I tell you, he died for my offenses. He lives for my justification. Does it mean I'll never make mistakes? I'll never sin? No! But I know that the accuser of the brethren's been cast down. He's got nothing to accuse me of because the moment he tries, Jesus just points to the hands, points to the feet and says, they're the marks of the death I took. I took every curse, I took every guilt, I took every blame, I took every responsibility. You can't do a thing against him. That's the way it is. What a way to live. Huh? That's that's the Christian gospel. Hope you know that. I I like this bit. I've I've got a couple more scriptures. I better finish. I'll get too excited. In Romans chapter 10... Romans chapter 10. I'll come back in a second, go back to chapter 3, but it just worked out this way. See? In Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Oh. Ha <laughs> ha. verse 6 let's take but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down from above or who shall descend into the deep that is to bring up Christ again from the dead but what saith it the word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart that is the word of faith which we preach that if thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus now what do you confess it with your mouth got to open your mouth one thing people don't do they don't open their mouths shame shuts their mouth guilt shuts their mouth God says open your mouth the words nigh you It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. It's time you let it out. Simple, isn't it? If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, man believeth into righteousness. And it's your heart belief in Christ's death and resurrection. But it's not just the fact that I believe Jesus died for me 2,000 years ago. I need to believe in that death being the atoning work. He took my sin. He became sin who knew no sin. Justice divine was satisfied at Calvary. When I believe in the death and the resurrection, I believe the truth of it. What he did, the substitutional death, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world, that he took my place and your place. He was crucified for my offenses and your offenses. On the third day rose again from the dead. That's what I believe. But the trouble is, it's got to be with a heart inside of yourself, burning in your being. I understand why he died. I understand he's risen. I confess him with my mouth as Lord. What do I confess? I confess who he is and what he is. He's the Lord of justice, isn't he? Justice divine is satisfied. You see, it's not a belief about a historical happening, it's a belief in the one who is history and changed history into divinity. That's what it is. And it's totally different. There's so many people look at this scripture and they miss what God's saying. You believe in the heart. I believe in Jesus. I confess him. But what do I confess to? You see, I have to have a reason for the hope that's in me. And I have to be able to give every man. Well, Jesus died on Calvary's tree. If you go to many homes, they'll all agree with you. They'll say on Good Friday, yes, it happened. Let's have a hot cross bun. If you asked, it was Jesus born? Away in a manger, silent night. They'll sing it all. They'll have a crib. They'll send Christmas cards. They believe it all. At Easter, they'll send eggs. I don't know what that's got to do with it. I suppose if you like chocolate or you own a chocolate factory, it's got a lot to do with it. But they send cards to each other. They'll go, you know, on, on a Friday. They'll go to a communion service on a Sunday morning, you know. He rose from the dead and but it's historical they don't understand what it means and you see believing in your heart you believe in the one it's more than just believing the historical fact you believe what he did the words now nah, you in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of faith which we preach you see you've got to have faith in what he did who he was Your offenses taken into his body. It's not just that he died and rose. It's that he became sin who knew no sin. It's that every single thing in your life that's wrong, he dealt with 2,000 years ago. It's that on the third day, sin, justice divine, was satisfied. Sin couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't hold him. And that's how I know I'm justified because having paid the penalty full perfect and sufficient the just for the unjust he rose again to declare to all of creation death you've lost your sting grave you haven't got a victory anymore and I believe it with all my heart that's what makes a Christian That's what this scripture is talking about. It's not just a a simple parroting off. Oh, you know, if you confess with your mouth, oh, yeah, I'll say Jesus is Lord. Yeah, I believe he rose. That doesn't save you. It's when you realize what he did. Then you believe with your heart. Faith saves you. Do you understand? More than just, just, just a, a formula. It's a faith. <sighs> For the Scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not, or in him, shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord... Overall is rich unto all that call upon him for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things but they have not all obeyed the gospel Who's believed my report? You see, there's something so important to understand. The gospel's not a formula. The gospel's a report. Hey, it's true. I believe it with all my heart, don't you? I believe that he died for me. I believe he became sin who knew no sin. Let's go back to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 I want want to get through it otherwise I'll I'll be 10 years on this. Uh, Verse Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness. Now look. Jesus Christ can only be the propitiation if you have faith in the blood that was shed on Calvary's tree, where the life of the soul, because the life of the soul is in the blood, it was poured out on Calvary's tree. Now, when that blood was poured out, that life was poured out, the life of Jesus Christ's soul was poured out. Not his spirit, his soul. Because Jesus... Died to save the souls of men. Do understand this. Your soul comprises of your mind, your will, and your emotions. The you is in your soul. It's not in your spirit. Every man's spirit returns to God who gave it. You'd be dead if you didn't have. When body and spirit come together, you get a living soul. Jesus came to redeem the souls of men because spirits are eternal. Souls are what it's about. That's in time. That's why you have to redeem the time because the days are evil. Okay, you have to understand that. Or you don't understand anything. And so obedience comes from your will. You don't obey from your spirit. You obey your soul obeys. You don't feel emotion in your spirit you feel emotion in your soul. Hmm? You think in your heart, your soul. So your mind. Understand that it's difference. Jesus came to save the souls of men. You purify your soul in obeying the truth. You don't purify your spirit, because when you're born again, your spirit becomes one spirit with God's spirit. And now the dealing is in your soul. Your soul is that which is in touch with the earth. So when Jesus, the just, suffered for the unjust, it was his soul he poured out unto death, not his spirit. His spirit he dismissed to the Father. You, you do understand the difference. Okay. Uh, can't think where I was going there. but um, Let me go back to the scriptures and I'll know where I was going. What verse was I in? Hmm? To declare his righteousness for the remission, that's the passing over of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. The one who justifies you is God. You don't justify yourself. Jesus is your justifier. Jesus is your righteousness. Jesus is your sanctification. You don't get right by something you do. You can't put your life right. If someone comes to you and says, you've got to put your life right, say you're a prat. I can't put my life right. God puts your life right, doesn't he? He puts it right when you put your life into his hands and you give him the sovereignty of your life and you yield yourself to him and you allow him to do what he will and you begin to obey the truth. As you obey the truth, you purify your soul. You don't purify your soul by something you do. You purify your soul by obedience. Is that plain that's in Peter Uh, we purify our souls in obeying the truth and obedience is a most necessary part of your life that's the part that most Christians leave out they obey their own lusts their own desires their own ambitions they don't obey God that's why you need to know the scriptures because it's, it makes you wise and it's a light unto your feet. It tells you how to walk. And, and the scriptures, there for instruction and reproof, make you um, truly furnished unto every good work. How does it do that? Well, it does that by you starting understanding that He justifies you, you don't justify yourself. Nothing you do is ever going to be good enough for God. What's good enough for Him is what Jesus did for you. And it's on that basis of faith we stand. I stand on what he did for me. I never stand on what I'm doing. Because what I'm doing is a mess. But what he did for me is perfect. And what he continues to do for me is wonderful. God's on my side. He loves me. I'm his favorite. I know that. Why? Because he says so and I happen to believe in. Uh, and that's, that's what faith is all about. And then it's just as simple. If you've got faith, you, you do what he says, don't you? Huh. Okay, uh, let me just tell you. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the just of him that believeth in Jesus... Where is boasting then, verse 27, it is excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. There's no way anything you do will ever make you acceptable to God. It's the faith in what Christ did for you. The fact that he justifies me, that justice is satisfied by what Jesus did, not by what I do. That's what brings righteousness. That makes me at peace with God. When I stop trying to fulfill what I think God wants of me, and I realize that Jesus has already fulfilled everything that's needed, then I quit. Such a relief to know God's done it all, isn't it? Now we're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. It doesn't mean you sit back and say, well, that's great, I can live anyhow. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Um, You don't want to go back into captivity, but what you do know is that you're, you're righteous, not by what you do, but by what he's done for you. Huh. I find the whole thing wonderful. But I don't know that I can express it well enough that you can understand it. But for me, it's wonderful. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. A most glorious revelation. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, <laughs> but you've got to know what you're believing, you've got to understand the reason for it. It's not sufficient to know the historical truth. You've got to know the reality behind it. All right? Ah, um, Just a couple more scriptures if you want. What's the time? Oh, no, I, I'll stop. Um, I'll do two more scriptures, and then I'll stop. Romans 8. Romans 8. Romans uh, 8. Uh, this is you, Romans 8, verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not? with him also freely give us all things. That's the most glorious thing, isn't it? He delivered him up for us all. How shall he not freely give us all things? You know, if God be for us, who can be against us? Hmm. You see, God was for us. Now the devil, he was trying to get justice to condemn us. But now the very justice he demanded justifies us. And that's why he doesn't like justice anymore. That's why the whole earth is full of injustice. Because the devil now realizes that justice is a nasty thing. That's why there's no justice in the earth. Because at one time he thought justice would be the destruction of God's creation. Now he suddenly realizes justice was its redemption. So he's trying to make the whole world unjust. He wants life to be unfair. So everyone will believe there's no right in God. That's why people have come to you. How many people have had them say, oh, well, if there was a God, why is there hunger in the earth? Why is there this in the earth? Why? I'll tell you why there's pestilence. Because there's a devil who hates mankind. Creation declares his glory. Jesus died for me, he died for you. And the devil wants to put it all so that he brings everything he can to bear to try and make you think that God is not just. Why, he's just and the justifier of him who believes. And that is where the whole thing is swinging. The devil knew justice had undone him. He thought this was his trump card. And he got trumped good and proper. And he lost. And Jesus is alive. Isn't it wonderful? Ah, You know, there's one more scripture, one more scripture, and we'll go. Romans chapter 4. Look, look at this one. Remember, I want to stop on this. Verse 25, who was delivered? Why? He was delivered for? He was delivered for? And he was? (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? He was delivered. Every single thing that's ever been wrong in your life, Jesus was delivered for that. He was delivered to the death. And I want to tell you this. He laid down his own life. He said, no man took it from me. It wasn't the centurions who nailed him to the cross that took his life. They couldn't. It wasn't the people that offered him vinegar. It wasn't Judas who took his life it wasn't the high priest and it certainly wasn't Pontius Pilate he said I have the power to lay it down I've got the power to take it again he was delivered for our offences he delivered himself unto death (laughs) he really did third day he rose again from the dead amen Hey. You know, you've got to start believing the right things. Let your heart and your mind believe the right things. Changes lives. Changes everything. Uh, Christianity's taught is a wishy-washy kind of horrible, the evangelical kind of claptrap. I don't like it. I like something that's vital and real. I like something that you know, knocks away the trappings and brings it down to the reality. Say this after me. Say, My offenses, my offenses. were dealt with in him. Within him. Justice, was Justice was satisfied. All my sins, all my, sins. All my, offenses. All my offenses, he took. Justice defined is, is satisfied. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. When he shed his blood, he purified my soul. He purified my soul. When, he again, when he rose again, it became as if I'd never sinned. From the, birth, from the day of my birth till now, till, now, till, all, eternity, till all eternity, all my offenses, all my offenses. are gone. gone. I have peace with God. I believe in my heart. God raised him from the dead. God him from the dead. He lives. He lives. I, live. I live. It's that easy. It really is. Amen? Isn't that good?